Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro in game and Hats on Lambs. It's episode 79. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we have another special guest on tonight, a member of Team Barbarian Camp, M. Gallup. Welcome to the show, M. Gallup. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Is that how you say your name? I guess yeah. I just... I should know. Okay. <laughs> I forget, you just can't... Phonetically, Magallop, but yeah. <laughs> that's, I think, more awkward and less true, so... All right, yeah, so I'm Gallup. Thank you for coming on. Oh, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, so I, I asked you, on. I was kind of excited because you recently were on um, the Backlash podcast, and you are a pretty prominent presence in the um, in the main Eternal Discord, and are I think very opinionated on draft and constructed, and always have something to say. So I thought it'd be fun to have you on. We could uh, talk a little bit about draft. Um, so. Um, I guess to begin with, we'll do our normal show sort of structure. Um, have you played any drafts recently? Uh, so last weekend, I was in the voice chat for the Barbarian Camp, and I was like, hey, I want to do runs of this new event. And they were like, how about you do drafts instead? And I was like, that sounds way more fun. So I drafted. Uh, I had a Stone Scar deck with like a bunch of bombs and... Also, a Gleeful Firebrand, so so I forced five-cost spell stuff going on there. And then I had a kind of mediocre Xenon deck that ended up being my last deck in the format because then they announced new set was coming out, draft preview soon. And my general policy is when they announced that to just kind of stop with the, the format that's about to die. Yes. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I... Um... I talked about this in the last episode. I kind of tried to do that. And then I like tricked myself into doing another draft. And I've been uh, fairly successful at, at the end of this format. And so I was like, um, I was ending on a good note. And then I was like, I'll do one more. And it went horribly. And then and I spent a whole day trying to like recapture the magic and just getting angrier and angrier at draft. Um, so I... I, I really should have should have done what you did and called it quits when I when I could have and then um, and then I, I continued to screw myself actually because then I, I after that day I was like okay no this is seriously it and then someone in our Discord um, we sometimes do a thing where we screenshot a whole draft and then do like a what's the pick where everyone can kind of like follow along and then post their deck at the end of it and someone was like oh we should do one of these we haven't done it in a while and i was like oh i could do that so at, on friday during lunch i screenshotted half a draft and then i had to go back to work and then when i got home i was like oh i should finish that draft it, with the thought of screenshotting it in mind didn't screenshot another pick <laughs> so, so. So I was I was forced to complete a, another draft of this format after swearing it off. Yeah, no, we do, we do in uh, the team draft chat Discord. We we sometimes do it 
which often is basically just someone screenshotting 48 uh, packs and isomorphic telling them what the correct pick is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's really cool that you guys as a team, um, you know, take the time to do that and kind of have that as an option available to you and people doing it and stuff. That's really cool. Um, so yeah, so we'll quickly shout out the Patreon, which is the thing that keeps this show going week after week. We do have a Patreon at patreon.com slash farming eternal, where for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to our show notes, uh, sometimes recording bloopers when I say something particularly stupid, and you can nudge us towards any Patreon goals. Um, we have no new patrons this week, but as always, thank you to our veteran patrons, Cotillion, Loki, Trickster, Sigma Tank, Mercurial Blue, Abednego, Meagles, Madness, Parmalee, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Jed the Homerid, Raven Dragon, SREG 0215, Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yistout. We appreciate the support month after month. Thank you very much. All right, cool. So uh, on to the meat of the show, I guess. So you were talking about having... Um, Open, done a draft with Gleeful Firebrand, which I think is your card of the week. So for those of you who don't know, um, Gleeful Firebrand is a one fire zero three. When you play a spell with cost five or more, deal three damage to an enemy, and it has summon plunder. So what are your thoughts on this card? So first of all, it's one of those cards where I picked that I picked significantly higher than it that it possibly deserves because whenever I see it I'm like this card's sweet I get to like do some sort of stupid five cost spells deck get a bunch of value everything's gonna be awesome and then I play it and I think I have like an 80% track record of it getting targeted by specifically the card forget and <laughs> and then I'm like this is horrible they just played this trash card which which like made my really cool card totally irrelevant but then I think more, and I'm like, okay, we actually, they played a card that got rid of just the text of my unit that has a summon and also its own stat. So I actually should be fine with it. Uh, but I think like half of the voice chat drafts I do with with the Barbarian camp and with, involve me seeing that card and then immediately forcing five cost spells matter. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think it's, it's a kind of a tough card to evaluate, like where you should take it and what uncommons you should take it over. If, say, instead of instead of drafting for fun, you were drafting for win percentage, because it's it. Because I we, we talked about this before this show, before we started recording, where I take this card very highly too because it's so sweet and I kind of like the five cost matters um stuff anyway and this adds extra value on that and so i'm always like excited to open this and try to force it and, and really never actually actually get anything done with it but like there are so many good uncommons uh in this format it's I never really got a sense of where I should actually be. And sorry, one last thing. And and with the plunder on it also sort of confuses my evaluation because I think a lot of good players have talked about how plunder for them has gone like they started too low, went too high, and then sort of lowered on plunder again. And so it's hard for me to evaluate like just what a 
one cost O three with plunder is. So, so I think a one cost O three with plunder just on its own is a card that I will always, almost always play, but won't necessarily pick super highly. So like uh, Boulder Gate Guard, I think is the sort of closest analogy to it. And so they both have different things going for them, obviously with Boulder Gate Guard you and Firebrand five cost spells thing. But I almost never find myself cutting Boulder Gate Guard. Now, part of that is because Justice in this format, in my experience, specifically really just wants one and two drops, even if they're like total garbage, because there's that whole Siphoner Paladin thingy. And yes. Um, but I think Firebrand has then. So Firebrand, I think you really want it if you're in Praxis or Rakano. Uh, the other two fire pairs, I think it's still, it's probably at its worst in Skycrag, which doesn't really have a reason to sacrifice units, is probably a little bit more aggressive and doesn't have, and there's basically like no good P5 cost spells. And then Stone Scar, I think it's probably fine. Um, like in Stone Scar, like if they're using removal on it, they're not using removal on like your two or three drops or your, you know, random, like, five twos for four. And you also have, you know, you have false demise as a way of proccing it, and you have, you know, imprison it uncommon if you're really lucky. I mean, you wouldn't pick this over, say, like a Might Weaver or a Battle Driver if you were just trying to win, do you think? I'm not sure. Um, I might pick it over Might Weaver. Mm-hmm. Probably, okay, that's probably Battle Driver is the correct pick, and there's also just like a ton of in other colors cards that I will pick that I would pick over it. Pack one pick, or actually, I guess pack two pick one. Even yeah. if I have some fire stuff, so like if I if I have two or three good fire cards, but then suddenly see a, a Tentaclesis or uh, the three four flyer that I just call Kenna, but that draws you a spell out of your void. Right. I'm still going to spec- speculate on those cards. Yeah. Okay. So it, it's kind of like around the top uncommons, where you, there's some uncommons you would pick over and some you would. I, I would say probably, like, if I'm being fully, like, try hard, it's probably a, a, maybe a little, like, a level below the top commons, and then therefore, there's a decent swath of top uncommons that I think are better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, though it's hard to say in this format when you're saying, oh, it's not as good as the top common because Siphon or Paladin is so much better than every other common. <laughs> you know, there's like... But. Sure, but, but what I, I would say is I would probably take a Caravan Guard over this if the goal was purely highest win rate possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think that just makes sense. And even from the thought of just like Caravan Guard, yeah, it's one of those where Caravan Guard's ceiling isn't as high, but it's just a generically good card that will make every single Justice deck. While Firebrand, you do need some things. Um, yeah, the card I wanted to highlight this week is uh, Trail Torch Cinderpaw, which is the four Fire Fire 2 2 with Charge Summon. Gain attack equal to the highest attack among your units, um, your other units. 
And this is this card also sort of falls into the category of cards that I never really fully settled on how good this card was. And I say that from the standpoint of almost never putting this card in my deck. Yeah. But it, yeah. I'm, so I'm the same way. I think I'm probably like 10 to one in terms of being killed by this card to playing this card. Yeah, exactly. And I know there are obviously people who are putting this in their deck because they're killing me with it. And there are some good players that like it, you know, like, uh, e money bag and sizzle um both really both are sort of lean aggressive players and like this card a lot but man i the couple times i have put it in my deck there's always like a two two on the other side of the board that <laughs> that i can never get through and it yeah. feels way too situational but like you said it it's a card that will kill you, and so it can't be, like, a worthless card. I think it's actually a card that's sort of in a very interesting position if you think about kind of levels to the format, which is level one of the format is just, it's a format like every other format. Your card evaluations are going to stay the same. And then level two of the format is... Actually, there are a bunch of insanely good blocking units in the format, like Caravan Guard, um, specifically. I mean, that, that's, I think, the defi I think Siphoner is the best common of the format, but Caravan Guard, to me, has been the defining card of this format, just because it has such an outsized impact on sort of what units can are actually, like, useful to put in your deck for attacking and blocking. Mm -hmm. And what Caravan Guard does is it makes tutus just a lot worse. Because you, like, play a two-drop, they play a caravan guard, and it's like, oh, I just mulliganed to six. That was fun. And so because of that, it it makes, actually, Trail Torch a bit better because of caravan guard, because of siphon or paladin, etc. Because those things sort of make people a little bit less likely to play just kind of, like, random dirtily two-twos for two. I guess that's not even dirtily. Mm-hmm. And this is often going to be big enough to, like, either trade with them or get a hidden and then force them to trade with, like, a good defensive unit. But, again, I haven't had that much success with it because I generally don't draft decks that are that aggressive in this format because of Caravan Guard. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And the fact that you called Tutus Dirtily is also, I think, pretty interesting. And something we've hit on before is I think... Two twos are pretty dirtily in this format specifically. You know, one of them is, or two of them are Siphoner Paladin and Caravan Guard. Um, but also that, you know, the the two most aggressive two drops in the format being Chain Whip Bludgeoner and Patroller both attack as three threes right. um, very often. So two twos just feel like they do nothing in this format. They can't attack or block. Um and are kind of always feel like they're in a weird place to me. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think so. That's, I think, just one of the things that's weird about the format. But I think, in a certain sense, that makes Trail Torch better because it's got, it's got, you know, it's this really aggressive charge unit, but its big weakness is that if your opponent just has a random two drop that hasn't attacked you, you 
either don't play it or you like trade or you trade and either way you're feeling really dumb yes exactly yeah um cool so we're going to skip our seven win run breakdown because that's meaningless right now since uh, the new format's coming out and this show is probably going to come out early in the week um so as this draft preview event is happening um so we don't need to talk about set nine anymore. We're here to just look forward and talk about vague theoretical aspects of draft, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and the new stuff, exactly. Um, so we'll go on to our main topic. I guess the, the I thought we would start with a little bit more of an interview style, and then we'll kind of dig into the spoilers. So, um, so... For those of you who don't know M. Gallup, um, who are you? So, uh, I'm, so I've been, you know, so the, uh, so the way I got into Eternal is I, you know, had been playing Magic for like 20 some years now, kind of on and off. Like, you know, I would go to college or grad school and, therefore, and then kind of drift away and then at some point come back. And so one of those points I came back is I got super into both lim both limited and constructed during Hour of Devastation because it had this really fun, like, fun draft format where you could draft these greedy five-color decks. Mm -hmm. And so I got, like, super into Magic, and then the next set was Ixalan, which was just dog shit. It was, like, limited was bad, constructed was bad. It was, like, this uninspired stuff that, like, had, like, some, like, you know, to Hot Topic-adjacent branding slapped on top of it. And that was just, like, that was, and so I was, like, ugh, magic sucks now. And, like, at the same time, I remembered I'd, like, watched some, like, LSV streams of this other game that looked kind of similar to magic, and I was, like, hey, let me try that out. And so I tried Eternal and really liked it. And one of the things I really liked about it was this kind of this asynchronous draft you do. Because it meant that, you know, if I was in a hurry, I didn't have to, like, wait around for people to pass me packs. I could just, like, finish a draft in two minutes. Or otherwise, you could, like, you know, uh, as we were talking about a little offline, do that, like, you know, go into a Discord and, like, post pic picture by picture. And so... That's kind of how I got into sort of more the Eternal community is, you know, hang out in the draft channel of the main Eternal Discord. And then eventually, you know, one thing led to what basically, eventually that led to the creation of Team Draft Chat, which was like a bunch of kind of elitist asshole drafters who like had really strong opinions about the format, but also kind of, you know, like got along and also talked a little bit about Constructed. So in that, Isomorphic basically broke the format with this really cool reanimator deck with that was playing Privilege of Rank despite having no Justice cards in the deck. Mm -hmm. um, a, a bunch of us made top 64 of the ECQ, and that kind of got me more invested in playing Constructed competitively, which... Uh, which then eventually leads to me being there with, uh, with the Barbarian camp and kind of going pretty hard at this previous Eternal Constructed season, having some success, having my team, having some teammates do really well and actually, you know, make the top eight of Worlds and, you know, 
sort of that's how I got to where I am. That's how I got to, you know, doing GHP's podcast and now this podcast. Yeah. No, that's really cool. So you, I guess it's interesting to hear that the sort of the journey sort of started in draft and then led to constructed. Cause I, I have felt like, you know, over the last, I, especially during the ECQ season, you know, your focus did seem to be a lot more on constructed and it was, interesting to me because I kind of like had started following you as someone who has talked about draft a lot and then you talked about constructed a lot and uh yeah I mean I still like have sort of a self-conception of myself as like being uh, a draft specialist uh but you know I had no success in the two major draft events that there have been and (laughs) I would say a lot of success in the constructed events there have been. So who knows? Um, yeah, well, that does bring up an interesting point. I know you guys, you, you know, you said you guys do uh, a bunch of chat drafts and stuff. Did uh, Team Barbarian Camp sort of do any team prep work for the draft championship? Was that a thing you guys focused on? Especially with two people qualifying through it. So we didn't focus on it. I mean, so what happened is that sort of once we got to the format that we were pretty sure was going to was going to be the format for the thing, and we ended up being wrong because it, they did a switch and switched to what I would say is a much worse format. Um, <laughs> we started posting all of our deck lists just in a Discord channel with their records. And we also would just, you know, every once we would semi-regularly just have a number of people in voice going over a draft and then kind of backseating the games. Mm-hmm. And there was also like some discussion both in chat and in voice about kind of what things we thought were good, what things we weren't. And, but mostly it was just kind of getting all of us to do a bunch of drafts. Right. So you didn't, I, especially since you come from magic, maybe this will resonate. You didn't do, I know like some pro magic teams, you know, they do these like rank things where they'll like figure try to figure out as a team what they thought the best rares are and the, where the uncommons were in relationship and that kind of. Stuff. No, we, we did, we did not end up doing that. We just, mm-hmm. I mean, there was, I think, well, so there was, there was differences of opinion, but there was, you know, general sense of kind of what cards were strong and what cards weren't but yes. we didn't go and i mean part of it is and this actually came up with the other team i'm on team draft chat sort of discussion of whether to we ended up not coming out with ratings for set for set nine just because the because every, everything is so contextual partly because the influence costs are so hard yes um and so instead, so ISO actually had a, had just a, a pack one, pick one rank ordering, uh, which was pretty interesting. I don't know if you ever changed it for whether they went from nine, I, I don't know what you call it, the first, the first set nine format to the, to the much worse second one. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know. It's probably not as much worse as I feel like, as it feels like it is to me, but I just liked it way less. No, I, it was, I think that's the general consensus. I think most people liked it a lot less. 
Yeah. There are, I I think <laughs> yeah, I think the highest opinion of it is some people didn't mind it. Like Tyler Cheney or John Avon in game. I think he, he would say that it it was his praise of it is it's better than people say it is, <laughs> which is you know, which is not really that high of praise. Um yeah, and, and that's actually kind of interesting because I know you you've talked about how you are a person who likes sort of low playable formats and, and consider them sort of skill testing, which yeah. I think is maybe not the, the general consensus. And so it is kind of interesting that you liked the second iteration, which I think everyone can agree on was very low on playables um, as much. Yeah, so I, mean, so I think part of the problem for me with it is I like, the thing I like about low playable formats is twofold. One of them is just that I think they're hard in an interesting way that probably benefits me. But the other is that I really like playing with kind of mediocre cards. Yeah. Like I loved back in sets, back in sets, the original set six, where like the curated packs were like a total wasteland. And suddenly like Pit Fighter was like this premium card that you really wanted to have in your deck because it was just like yeah. a three for five. Uh, and so, I, I, and if, if you actually want to go back in time, one of my first ever favorite limited cards was Voracious Fasora, just as this 4-2 Reckless for three that was, like, not that good, but had, like, a few synergies. And, and one of the biggest synergies was you just played this kind of bad trick on it to get people, uh, whether yeah. it's more. But this one is a, is a, lo is a low-playable format but the interaction of the low playables with kind of set nines, innate set nineiness is just that you end up playing these kind of sketchy, inconsistent decks, which sometimes just randomly like play Disappear and Smogwing Tinker, and sometimes play like two kind of crappy units and just roll over and die, which I found to be less fun. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think... <sighs> Yeah, that it, that's interesting because I, I definitely can see that. Because even like in the second iteration, this the format we're talking about, like I did like the fact that, um, oh geez, I forget his name. Uh, you know, the five five three overwhelm guy was like a good card, and <laughs> I love playing. I love playing with cards like that too. I really hate when the card cards or run scrying or like or like you know when they just put in all of these totally unplayable spells that do nothing and right um, yeah i mean no that's no i i will say one of the things that was kind of cool about all of the iteration of this format were that there were certain synergy packages that kind of made you reevaluate what are otherwise pretty garbage cards so, like, I know I've played First Watch, the five-cost, gain-eight-life Nightfall card in this format, just because, you know, I have a bunch of, of, of Machinists, and I really need something that triggers them, and eight-life isn't nothing. Right. No, that's, I think, yeah, that is cool. And that's uh, pretty cool that you'd play that card. It would, I would need a lot of Machinists <laughs> to put that in my deck, but... But that's pretty cool. Um, 
So I guess the, yeah, the last thing I kind of wanted to ask you is like, one of the things that you said in the uh, Backlash podcast, um, you talked about how, I guess it was in the um, patron questions, they asked like, how do you get better at Eternal? And you talked about the Discord. And I was wondering if you could sort of expand on that and how do you think people can use the Discord to get better at draft? I mean, so one of the one of the big things is the thing that we've kind of both talked about, which is, you know, you can go in the draft channel, or often you can actually just do this in the main eternal discussion channel, because there's gonna be like some people out there having a very stupid argument about something. And <laughs> are like totally willing to be distracted by like saying what the correct pick is about like pack one, pick one. But like, no, like, so when I first like got into Eternal, one of the things I sort of went, was in the draft channel a lot and basically just like, you know, going through entire drafts and, you know, arguing about things. So being like, I think the pick here is Terriac, Teriak's Hatchling, and, and I was correct because Teriak's Hatchling is like almost always the pick, but that's neither here nor there. Um, no, or just, or you know, arguing about like what is the last cut for this deck. I, I actually hate doing cuts for decks. Um, yeah. But just like the fact that you ha- that there's not, there's not time pressure on you in this type of draft so that you can really like go deep in an argument or you can just like ask people and then when they tell you something, you know, ask just ask follow-up questions. So, like, why is Valley Clad Sage, which is like an 05 for two with a completely with an ability that does nothing, actually like a useful card that you want to have in your deck, or some, or you know whatever? It's because Valley Clad Sage is great. Basically, kills a unit and then draws like three cards or something. <laughs> I feel like it mostly discards half my deck, but uh. yeah. But it does block. It blocks a lot of things in this format. Um, Blocking rules. I agree. Um, it's it's interesting because um, I think that is a thing that I do think I uh, like with the talking about doing cuts is always interesting because um, it. I feel like that's the question that people ask the most but it's also the hardest to answer and sort of most meaningless because so many decisions have been made before you get to to what are the like two worst cards in this deck and it's so it's like the percentages you're actually gaining in like what are the two cards I should cut are so much smaller than the percentages you're gaining by making the correct picks and picking cards towards a deck um sure and no i mean there's definitely like there were definitely people who would like show up with like just you know you 33 cards and you're just like how did we get here (laughs) we're we're in three colors and playing a bunch of one ones for one uh things went horribly wrong at some point but it's still i think interesting when you're handed you know a a flawed, a deck that is flawed in some way or another to try to do triage, try to be like, okay, is there any reason, should we be playing 30 power? Or should we, you know, speculatively splash this card just off of a bunch of sigils or what or what have you? 
I think those are interesting choices. But yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think drafting probably has the biggest impact on kind of how well you do in a draft with, you know, even above technical play skill as long as you're sort of at some baseline level of competence. Right. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I agree. All right, cool. I think that was a pretty interesting discussion. We hit on a lot of things about you. So shall we move on to some spoilers here? Yeah. Yeah, so... Like uh, M. Gallup said, uh, they announced um, this past Monday the new set, and then they've slowly trickled spoilers out. And it was looking a little dicey on how many we would have to talk about <laughs> for this podcast. But uh, Direwolf came through, and these last two days we've gotten a bunch. And um, I guess uh, I kind of categorize the spoilers to a certain extent. Um, and they're, they're kind of interesting in these categories. The first thing I wanted to talk about is the new mechanic that they spoiled, which is regen, um, which I think, um, yeah, let's, well, let's just start with that, is uh, regen is the new mechanic. And what regen does is a unit with regen is able to take damage one time without taking really damage. taking the damage. <laughs> Yeah. So um, be it, yeah. It's be a it one damage or a hundred damage that would kill the regen, sort of like Aegis with a spell, and then from then on they're normally allowed to be damaged. Yeah, uh, regen I think is super interesting. I'm so I mean one of the things sort of when they announced the mechanic that I talked with some people about is like how good would a two-two regen for two be? And sort of the the answer is pretty damn good, um, because but specifically it's going to be good for two reasons. Number one is just on defense, it's a monster. On defense, it's like either going to at some point just gain you five or six life for free by just blocking some huge unit, or it's going to like eat a small unit and then either trade or chump block something. On offense, you need to be like putting a weapon on it or something before it really matters because otherwise they just stick a 3-3 on top in front of it twice. And so I think in general, regen benefits a lot from you being on defense because it's pretty easy if you're the defender to maneuver in a way where you're kind of popping an, a regen shield for free. So, you know, if you have a if you have a 4-4 four, four regen that say has to attack, um, you could just like put your siphoner paladin in front of it. Your siphoner paladin lives, the regen shield dies, and now you just have a 4-4, four, four, which is, you know, nice. On the other hand, if your 4-4 four, is on defense, they can't attack with anything. Because if you attack with smaller units, they get to eat them at the cost of their regen shield. And if you play a trick, your trick did nothing. And if you attack with bigger units and they trade, it's just a disaster. Yes. Yeah, I think that's uh, one of the most interesting things is the fact that, yeah, regen seems so strong on defense. And like you said, regen totally negates combat tricks from your opponent. Like, 
no, you know, your two, two is never getting through their three, three regen, no matter how many, how many wind conjurings you play on it. Um, and, and it does seem like Direwolf has taken this into account because the two regen cards they spoiled, uh, one is a, a common unit and it is uh, called Encroaching Vine, which is five primal primal four four. It has reckless regen and summon plunder. And so this uh, obviously, since it has reckless, it is an offensive attacking unit. So you are not able to sit back with your four four and make blocking or make comp, you know, defensive combat difficult for your opponent. Um, and then the other one is uh, Controlled Demolition, which is an uncommon, it's five justice. Give one of your units double damage and regen. Controlled Demolition costs three less to play on Sentinels. So again, with the double damage, sort of hinting at me that they kind of want you to use this aggressively, though you can use double damage defensively too, especially if you have regen. Yeah, these are really interesting cards. Um, so Encroaching Vine, I think, is really good, but 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 very format dependent because if there are a bunch like any decent number of like one fives, two fives that are like being commonly played, it gets significantly worse because you know if you run into that, if they have a Siphoner Paladin, you just played a five drop that's like plundered, which is awesome. Plunder's good. But otherwise, it's just kind of like running its head into the wall a bunch. Until they eventually play some bigger unit unit for free. Uh, but if they only have, you know, four fours, three threes, two twos, it's, you know, going to get some free value, then trade with something reasonable, and you plunder, which is just you being pretty far ahead. Yes. Yeah. I agree, and I do think um, it's kind of interesting to think about, because when you think about the beginning of set nine, the first iteration of set nine was very much heavily influenced by Echoes of Eternity. You know, there were, like, almost all of the boosted cards in the draft packs were set eight cards. And so it's kind of interesting to see what they're going to do with this new set, whether the first iteration will be in the draft packs, will mostly be set nine cards, Argent Depths, because if that's true, there are a lot of five health units in set nine. Right, like if, if they have Caravan Guard, and if your opponent plays Caravan Guard on turn three and you're like sitting in your head with your like, you know, big five drop being encroaching by, and you're just like, well, this is going to suck in a few turns. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and then the other two things that I wanted to mention about these two cards, one is um, with Encroaching Vines, the Summon Plunder is pretty interesting because first it means Plunder's back. And then also it means that this is the first time we've had Plunder on such an expensive card. I kind of looked through um, set our Argent Depths today and there was nothing above three power that had Plunder. Um, in in Argent Depths. And so the fact that they have Plunder on a five drop now is kind of interesting. And I think changes how you, how you use this in kind of interesting ways because, you know, Plunder is really nice as a hand smoothing, especially in the beginning. You know, you can keep often keep, when you have a one power Plunder card, 
Um, you know, you can keep a sort of a sketchier hand and use it to plunder a seven drop into a power or, for example, plunder a five drop into a power. But when your five drop is the thing that plunders, you're you're much less likely to be using wanting to turn a card into a power. So is this are we now thinking this more as a way to turn excess power into treasure droves? Yeah, so I would say, first of all, that that plunder on a five drop is just way worse than plunder on a one drop or a two drop because mm -hmm. you always had the ability to, like, you know, hold your plunder unit till later. So, like, there's been a lot of times where I've held uh, a boulder gate guard or a um, shifting illusion, a plum bug, just because I don't know whether I want to plunder yet and want more information but in general you're only going to be plundering excess power with this which loses value it can't because i think plundering cards to power is just more efficient and kind of you're usually happy you're happy with both but that one is sort of the more powerful mode of plunder so in general what this is is it just means that in the late that that you know when you draw it on turn eight or whatever if you were holding a power, you get to plunder that power away and you're kind of happy, which pays you off for the fact that kind of in the later game, when boards are pretty complicated, this 4-4 Reckless, even with regen attached, is still going to often find itself not having a good attack and you having to attack anyway. Right, exactly. Um, and then uh, the other card, Controlled Demolition, uh, the fact that this specifically calls out Sentinels kind of is leading people to believe that this is um, going to be a tribal-related set, I think, with uh, I, I, sen yeah, Sentinels Injustice being one of the tribes. Right. I, I think that's, that has become more, more clear with both the additional previews we've gotten since then and also the weird preview event we're getting where whenever you play a Mandrake, Sentinel, Grenadin soldier or valkyrie you draw a copy a random card from empire of glass with that has something to do with it uh so i think controlled demolition is right. also pretty interesting so first of all if you have no sentinels in your deck i think it's kind of playable as like the world's worst um unbreakable tradition as like a card that kind of lets you win a fight and then have a more threatening unit. The issue, of course, is that if you're in a fight and you play this, the regen shield is going to be gone, which is going to be what's going, what made you win the fight. And then you're, you're not going to have any additional defense. So, you know, when you Unbreakable Tradition, you're 3-3 to get past their 4-4. You suddenly have a 6-6 they have to deal with. If you control Demolition, you're 3-3 to get past their 4-4. You have... A pit fighter to deal with and as much as i love pit fighter as we've already discussed on this thing those are much easier to deal with but i still think it's you know gonna be pretty decent as one of those tricks you play that leave you behind some value and then if you do play this on a sentinel and it costs two that's like just an insane beating like you know if you play on a Flame Heart Patroller, win a fight until they have a double damage Flame Heart Patroller, that's pretty good. Yes, I agree. And um, we'll, we'll get to this card later, but there is a fire spell that procs off of the 
the health of a unit and seems to be Sentinel related. So it does seem like Sentinels will continue to have big butts um, in this format, I think. And so the fact that this only gives double damage, you know, giving double damage to a 3-6 is different than giving it double damage to a 3-3. Three, three. That's that is very true. Uh, and like you said, uh, I do think you know this is very different. The fact that it gives regen is different than a card like Touch of Force because even though it's not as good as Unbreakable Tradition, you can still use it to win combat both on offense and defense. Even though the sort right. of after yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. It's it's not like one of those... It's like Touch of Force has always been pretty bad and pretty overrated and limited because it doesn't save your guy. So you're playing a card to make your guy trade and suddenly you've just two-for-one to yourself. Whereas... So I think this is like halfway between a card like um, Saddle Up or Victor's Cry, like a big expensive combat trick, and a card like Unbreakable Tradition. Because it mm -hmm. is this extra thing on the board but that extra thing is as killable as the previous thing was right exactly all right then they gave like a slew of sort of removal spells as spoilers to different degrees so um i guess we'll go through these one by one um pretty interesting one for me is um called Send to Market, which is a common fast spell. It's five justice justice, and it says put a unit into its owner's market. So it is essentially a five cost, without context, it is a five cost fast speed kill spell in justice. Even better than a kill spell. It's like, it's like disappear. It's like a... Yes. Um... It, it because they can't just like triumph and return their guy and go back to beating on you. It's it's gone somewhere far away. Uh, so I mean, first of all, just like on rate, unless there's something in totally bonkers going on with markets in this format, where like you know your opponent's just like drawing a unit out of off of them every turn, the card's just just great. It's like it's better than cut ties, which has always been very good. It's better than disappear, which was good enough to make you want to pay TTTT. Uh, it's, you know, it's five cost fast hard removal. Yeah. And it's injustice, which tends to be a pretty good color. Um, yeah, so th that'll be interesting. The one the one wrinkle is, uh, you know, getting into this next card, for example. Markets do seem like they're going to be playing a part in Limited in this format, more so than, you know, um, to go back to set nine, you know, with etchings at Uncommon, people were kind of like, oh, maybe, you know, we're going to be playing more with Markets. And I think etchings kind of underperformed. Oh, etchings, etchings broke my heart. I was, like, so excited about I love kind of sh crappy draft markets and etchings yeah. well so part of the problem was that you know when the format switched we suddenly had pretty bad influence which meant that you would usually rather play a sigil than an etching because sigils could always provide their source and etchings were not on that often but yeah, yeah no, etchings yes. definitely underperformed but it i mean we've seen the word market like to at least two different limited rate uh, on a common for the first time ever with send to market. Yes. 
Exactly. And so this next removal spell is in primal, and it is an uncommon slow spell, and it's two primal, vicious undergrowth. It has overwhelm, deal three damage, amplify two, add a random primal card to your market. So kind of a weird card. Um, I mean, you know, is it's it's what it's it's one of those cards that like the vanilla test for spells is made for because overwhelm two cost three damage is just incredible and limited. Like you're just always going to be playing that card, and then it suddenly has this you know like pay seventy five to put a zero one totemite into play or something like that. Uh, right. And you're just like, that's useless. I'm never going to have 75 power to put a totemite into play. So this card, I don't care about this card. But no, just if you have no reason to use pow- to use your power for something else, or if you want to be like concealing a stop or something like next level like that, or if you, you know, have a market card and again, have no reason to be using your power that turn, like go... Go ahead, amplify it a bunch, look at your market, be like, wow, cool, I got a clutch of talents in my market or whatever. But mostly it's just like better seer. Or I guess not better seer because seer is fast, but it's like seer. Yeah. Yeah. It's very close to a great card. So so um, I agree. This is like like you're talking the, <laughs> the Vanaldas. This is one of those cards that are done as are designed to screw me up because I'm like the classic case of missing the um, playing a changey stick for two and getting lethal (laughs) when I'm like, Oh, can't play this. I don't, I only have six power. can't play this changey stick. I guess, guess I just sit here this turn and everyone's like, (laughs) I'm pretty sure you could have done 10 damage that turn. And I was like, so yeah. Is is lethal better than getting a two for one? It's hard to say. (laughs) Exactly. Um, yeah, so I, I do think that is a great... Um, even if you can't access your market, this is a card I think you will want to play. Yeah, always. All right. Yeah. Um, next is Laser Blast, which is, uh, again, a slow spell. It is three fire. One of your units deals its current health and damage to an enemy unit. Laser Blast costs two less if your unit is a Sentinel. There's a bunch of cool stuff going on with this card. Uh, one of the things that you should just keep in mind and limited on both sides of playing with this card is that you choose a unit and then your opponent can respond. So if you have a 3-5 and they have like a Mortar, which we haven't had in a long time, but let's just bear with me. They can mortar your 3-5, and suddenly Laser Blast is dealing one damage. Or they can, I believe, if they mortar your 3-3, then Laser Blast will be dealing zero damage. But I'm not positive on how that one will work. Yes, that's unclear. I, I I feel like it'll do zero damage, but there are some people that think it might still do damage. Um... So we don't know. But yes. And um, I forget the name of the primal spell uh, that had a similar... What was it? Sorry. So there was Dragon Breath, which was the original one with Mentor from set two, where you exhausted a unit to deal its its attack to another unit. And then Mm -hmm. there was Hold Under, 
which was from set six, which just dealt your highest attack unit to something for five. Was terrible. Right. Okay. And so those bows propped off of attack. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, All right. So this one, I think, is going to be pretty... It's going to be pretty good. Uh, so one of the nice things about it is that most of the cards that involve killing something based on the size your unit has require you to exhaust the unit in one way or another. Either you're, like, killering a unit or you're mentoring Dragon Breath or whatever. And if you have Sentinels, this card's amazing. But even if you don't have Sentinels, it's probably playable removal as long as you don't aren't just like mono X ones. Yeah. Yeah, the card I keep thinking about with this and kind of what we talked about earlier where, you know, if set 10, the first iteration of set 10 involves a lot of set 9 cards. I mean, with Flameheart Patroller, this is just so sweet. Yeah, one cost deals three to a something is, is value. Yeah. And then you get, yeah, exactly. Turn two, Flameheart Patroller. Turn three, you know, you play a power, play this, kill their two drop, attack for three, and then play another two drop. I think you're feeling pretty good about your situation there. All right. And then uh, we got a, we got a uncommon mass removal spell in From the Heaven, which is nine justice, justice. A slow spell, kill all units, amplify one, play a 2 2 Valkyrie with. Flying? Yeah, this is kind of interesting. I mean, this is this is a very format dependent card. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, so the thing I would say to the listeners is however much you think nine is in limited, it's more than that. Like, yes. if you're sitting around thinking, oh, 9 is going to happen on turn 13. No, it's not. Unless yes. you're doing something very specific. If you're thinking 9 is going to happen on turn 16, maybe. Like, that, yes. like you in general, in limited, you're probably playing 18, 19 power in your deck. Which means that to get to 9, you have to have drawn half your deck which happens around turn 15. That's yes. really late. And that makes this, this is like one of those cards, much like uh, the 2-2 charge guy, that I'm probably going to lose to. But I think I'm almost never going to play unless weird stuff is going on. Because part of the value of Harsh Rule of Shenra Speaks is that you could kind of like slow play your hand, play one or two defensive units. They would play a bunch of stuff to get around your defensive unit, and then you would just like destroy them with a five-for-one Shenra Speaks. This one, you're waiting until turn 18 or whatever. You're not actually going to be able to slow play this. And even at that point, you could maybe amplify it for one. I mean, that'll be good, but for the first 16 turns of the game, you had a dead card in your hand. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, I think that's the trick is you're like, oh, yeah, but we're both top decking, busting resources, and then I can like kill all their units and then play a 2 2 for free off of this card. But exactly, if you drew this card in the first 10 <laughs> turns of the game, it was just a dead card in your hand. Um, you know, and then the only, I don't know, the only thing I can think of is the fact that in set nine, the second iteration, like, Belching Behemoth was like 
as an eight drop, a very bad eight drop was kind of playable. And you're like, and eh, nine is close to eight, but nine is still so much more than eight. That it, it's like three more than eight. Yeah, that it's not a, you know, I think, I think um, the nerf to Severin showed this more than anything. Like, I felt like Severin went from one of the best rares in the set to like a thing, a, a good card, but a card I was much less worried about after the nerf and draft, um, even. And that was going from six to seven. And one of the reasons is you couldn't, you couldn't surge it. Yeah, exactly. Because you had one less power, you know, you, you had to spend one more power just to play it so you could surge it less. And so trying to get past nine, just, yeah. So play this cautiously. Yeah. All right. And then a kind of a, a, weird, a weird card to me, um, Jade Lodestone, uh, which is a relic, one justice, Summon, stun each enemy unit with one attack or less. Pay one, exhaust a sentinel, and sacrifice Jade Lodestone to play a Justice Sigil from your deck depleted. Yeah, it's weird. Um, also, pro also pretty bad. Um, just like as a, as another note, which is the like the stunning a bunch of one power units is usually not going to be that relevant because they're only one power units. So like you know if your board has like a bunch of Grendons or something, you'll it'll be kind of okay. If they have a if they have like a bunch of Valley Clan sages, you'll get through a bit. But that's not worth a card. And then there's this ramp thing, and it's very conditional ramp. And it's one of those cards where, you know, you're ramping for one Justice Sigil. You can play, as, you can play, just add an extra Justice Sigil to your deck. No one's going to, like, arrest you for playing 20 power on your deck if you are just thinking, oh, I have these expensive cards that Jade Lonestone is going to get me to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think one of the, the, the death meals for this card is, like, Mentor was not a great mechanic. And that's what you're doing when you, ex when you exhaust the Sentinel and pay one to play a, a depleted justice sigil. Um, yeah. It is funny, though, with the one attack. I feel like every card I can somehow relate to Flameheart Patroller. <laughs> <laughs> and this is continuing that. Um, great against your opponent who played five Flameheart Patrollers, I guess. Um, well, yeah, you'll say, you know, one attack. It, it is, of course, worth knowing that stun is always way better on attack than on defense because you get twice as much value out of it. Yes. Yeah, slow speed stun is much worse than fast speed stun. Um, yeah. Yeah, the other thing that this card makes me think about is um, there might be some... There's like a couple clunkers in the uncommon slots in this set so far. Um, so this also, I think, pretty plausibly, given the name and also sort of the text, is part of either a like three or a five card cycle. So like, <laughs> you can totally see them having like jade lodestone, ruby lodestone, emerald or sapphire lodestone, so on and so forth. Either one for each tribe doing something like that, or one for each sentinel color. 
but that you know we'll find out. Uh, oh, that's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't made yeah I hadn't made that connection. The thing I so the connection I made was to this next card, which was is relay point, um, which is the uh, another relic in the Cambrai colors, and I was wondering if there's like a like a, a sub theme of justice or maybe Cambrai relics. Well, clearly this is setting us up for the next Scion draft because we'll play Relay Point plus Tayana and just go to town. Yeah. So, oh. um, yeah, so getting into this, um, this sort of leads us to this next category of col um, cards. There were three cards spoiled that were all uncommon and uh, dual faction influence, one of each influence of two different colors. So, um, so I'm kind of wondering if this is uh, a start of a 10-card cycle of sort of signpost uncommons is what they call them in Magic Draft, where, you know, Magic in, in these last few years, in each set, they usually have 10 uncommons that kind of tell you what every single color pair is trying to do. And the fact that we got three uncommons that um, were a color pair was maybe... Um, makes me wonder if this is going to be a similar similar thing, um, which is not something that Direwolf does in in every draft set or even most of their draft sets. So we'll see. Pure speculation on my part. Um, but the first one is um, two Cambrai relic, summon play a two one soldier, then. It says, exhaust four of your units and sacrifice relay point to play a 5-5 five, five Sentinel. Um, I think so this, this is... No, sorry. You can go, please. I think this card's really good if you're in Combray. I mean, it's so, I mean, so it's always kind of annoying to be a multi-faction two-drop just because, because you have some fail rate of playing them on two. But, you know, it's like a kind of bad unit on two that... Whenever the board is clear and you have enough units, just gives you, suddenly gives you this great two for one where you had this two one and now you also have this five five. And so I'm yeah. I'm pretty I will I'm pretty into this card in limited. I think it's gonna be good. Okay. So do you think you're gonna have to click on this relic and, and then it'll let you exhaust four units? Is that how this is on work? Yeah, you're gonna click on the relic is okay. going. If you have four units. The relic is going to be like green on your avatar. You click on it, then you click on the four units, and you know they immediately exhaust, and you get a five five. Okay. Yeah, because when I had originally read this card, I kind of assumed you had to like do it the turn. You, like it kind of looks like it's a continuation of the summon text, and I thought maybe you had to do it on the same turn you played it, but smart. Our minds are telling me differently, so. Yeah, I don't believe that's how it works. That would be much worse because. <laughs> okay, okay. So it, it could be either pretty good or really bad, depending <laughs> on how you read it. All, all right, the next card is a Huru card. It is three Huru, a Tutu, and a Soldier. And it says it has Aegis, Summon, Killed, a Stunned Enemy Unit. So this card, if if this card were in the current format, I think it would be really good because yes. it just completely shits on imbue. Like 
they play an auric official imbuing their, you know, Cypher Paladin. You kill their Cypher Paladin, and then suddenly you just two-for-one them, and they're feeling not great. Um, if there's not that much imbue in the format, I think it gets significantly worse, because even if you have a bunch of sun in your deck, you're still, you know, doing some sort of two-card combo to kill a unit that's going to cost you a bunch of power, and this extra, and a 2-2 two -two Aegis is, you know, it's nice. You're not going to, like, take them out of bed for, like, leaving crumbs, but you're not, like, super excited about it if you're not playing on turn three or four. No, I, I yeah. You know, because, like, the closest comparison, ignoring the summon effect, is the the three justice 2-2 two -two that has endurance in Aegis. Yeah. And, that and no one plays that. Yeah, exactly. And that has an extra battle skill and a pretty good battle skill. Yeah. Um, over over this card, um, but yeah, I, I, again, I think also with this card, you really want to be doing like you know play play Jotunfrost or Yerl's Frostkin and then play this card, not or kill it in view. Not be like I'm going to play Frost and then I'm going to play this card and I'm going to cost five and two of my cards to kill one unit and get a two two. That's not. I mean, you're not really getting ahead there. No, I agree. Um, yeah. yeah, my one worry is this means that Shatter is coming back in the draft packs, <laughs> which I'm, I'm well, not Shatter, super excited. Shatter is guaranteed to come back because set nine will still be an expedition, which means the whole thing will be in the draft packs. It's just some of them will probably be vanishingly rare. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah in that sense. Uh, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't put no, it, past, it, uh, Shatter would be like times 15. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, but I think Shatter is a, is an interesting comparison because in this format, you know, you could get infinite frosts and shatters in your deck if you wanted to, and that wasn't really a thing people were doing. And so, figuring out whether I mean, I, a I, harder, I, a, yeah, I like a, multiple shatters from. A from like Huru decks with su with like stun sub themes. Like I was playing fencing master. I was playing like a bunch of waste sun guys, and I was like, yeah, shadow's not worth this. Exactly. Um, so yeah, this, this will be an interesting card because like it's dual faction, so it's not super easy to cast. It's a three drop. It's only a two two. So I'm interested to see see how this card works. Um, and interesting, uh, important to note, it is a soldier, which seems like a supported our our tribal type in this format. Um, though I think a much better three power two two is this next card, which is Grubbot, which is a three Skycrag two two Grenadin Pig. When a Grenadin hits the enemy player, create and draw a treasure trove. When Grubbot hits the enemy player, reduce the cost of each treasure trove in your hand by one this turn. Yeah, this is weird. Yes. Um, one important note that some people did have some confusion on, and we don't know the exact answer, but it seems like if you hit the opponent with five Grenadine, you will draw five treasure troves, right? Uh, yeah, you should. Because otherwise it would say when one or more hit the enemy player. Like, if you look up, I believe that's what, what Throne Room says. 
is when one or more of you units hit the enemy play, you get an Aegis and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and Covetous Stranger is templated the same way where it says when one or more strangers hits the enemy, or when one or more strangers attacks. Right. This is pretty interesting and weird. I mean, to me, like, the immediate use case that comes to mind with this is you, like, have a bunch, like, assembly lines and Grenadine drones, and you're going wide, and you, like, just, like, bash in, lose three Grenadine, two of them hit them, you draw two treasure troves, and you're like, okay, that was pretty decent. Uh, obviously, like, if, if you're just, like, getting hits for free, it's amazing, but that seems less likely to happen unless something, unless there's, like, uh, enablers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just think, like, in Limited, people play Yeti's are uh what is it called yeti party party patrol party yeti pawn patrol no no the um the six cost spell oh the... uh scouting party yeah they should scouting party <laughs> yes um you know people play scouting party and like that card and this feels like as long as you have grenadines that oh. go wide which grenadines tend to do this is done a possibly draw you a lot of cards right. I mean, the, 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 the question is they're sort of like you want to have a board that can like attack in with all of your grenadines lose two of them and still be happy and you usually don't want to be attacking with yes. grub pig unless it's unless it's free like so if you're hitting with grub with grub bot sorry uh then you're probably going to win the game because you're like, because that's going to be the Grenadine they're going to want to kill most. And so, like, if you're hitting with two or three Grenadines, drawing three cards, like, the game's over. Uh, the question is sort of on these contested boards, are the Troves going to be worth the sort of losses in combat? And I think it's an interesting question that I won't know until I see sort of what Grenadine look like in this format. Yeah. Too bad it's not Grenadine or Rustling. Whew. Well, what's the uh, oh, are they? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Great. Close right. of dagger. Um. Yeah. No. Here this is. Go. Yeah. Close of dagger is pretty pretty cute with this because it punishes them for when they try to eat your, eat your guys. Yes. Okay. Well, that's exciting. All right. And then um, a card that just didn't fit into the category any category that was spoiled um, right before we recorded is in Spanish, so I can't read the name of the card. Abueso um, Cibernetico. I say not actually knowing how to put out Spanish. Okay, yeah. So it is a Grenadin Dog. It's three primal primal three three, and it says when a unit dies, or I think when one of your units dies, it gains Berserk and Fate if you have a Grenadin draw a card. Yeah, this is interesting. <laughs> also good, but interesting. Yes. I mean, so first of all, if you have no other Grenadin, it's only okay. Just like as a 3-3 three, three, sometimes Berserk for three is not is not great. And the thing, one of the things that's sort of worth noting is that three PP is so much is a lot more than three P because you're not consistently playing it on turn three, and when you're playing your four drop on turn or your three drop on turn four, things get kind of awkward and sad. But if you have you know a twenty percent chance or a fifteen percent chance of it being a three three draw card, it's suddenly just like incredible. Yes, exactly, and I mean again, even. The 
the three three for three is format dependent. There were some formats, you know, you were just three threes were so hard to come by that you were just happy to get any of them. Um, so it, yeah, this will be. This is just an interesting card because um, it's also hard to evaluate like what berserk on a three three for three means necessarily. Yeah. Um, the fact that it's a Grenadin and which makes it seem like it wants to go into Skycrag, which often is a very attacking and faction pair. So, you know, um, they're, you know, the uh, Shavka Evangel sort of overperformed, I think, as a 2 2 with Berserk uh, because you could just, even though it was a 2 2, where you would think Berserk doesn't mean so much with good enough weapons or an aggressive enough deck. You know, yeah. Berserk can be very scary, no matter what unit. Um, it is, cool. it, yeah, it is worth noting that even if you were like had, you know, we're playing the twenty Grenadin Dream deck, you're still probably drawing a card under half the time because if it's in your opening hand, you never draw a card, and most games don't go past turn seven or eight. Right. Yeah, no, that's a that's an important point in a, a good way to think about it. Um, you can't think about it like, oh, as long as this is not in my opening hand, I can draw a card because you most games don't see more than half your deck, especially when you're playing Grenadines, I feel like. Well, actually, I mean, maybe if Grubbot gets going, you will see more than half your deck because you're drawing like six cards a turn off those one cost treasure troves. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> yeah. I I I kind of like Grubbot. I'm I'm a little excited to try that card. Hitting them with two Grubbots a turn, each of your Grenadines gets you two troves, and they all cost zero. <laughs> exactly, living the dream. All right, uh, the final thing that we kind of wanted to talk about. Um, and let me know if you still want to talk yeah, about this. Is we could, um, we kind of had a couple cards that we wanted to talk about that we feel like people um, overrate or underrate, and I think are interesting to talk about because the this list of cards I think I guess mostly people value them pretty highly, and. I kind of wanted to frame this discussion in how a lot of these cards actually are format context dependent. And so with with the possibility of them entering draft packs in this new format, I think we should not necessarily use our preconceived notions of these cards as we enter this new format. Um, so a couple of the cards you wanted to highlight were Siege Provisions, um, Midnight Hunt, Platinum Kieran, Chain Whip Bludgeoner. And I wanted to talk about Horn of Plenty, but we could go through them one at a time. Yeah. Uh, so Seed Provision is the one that I actually think is least format dependent of all of these. So this is two and a J for a Relic. Uh, it has some sort of Spellcraft cost to play Endure, but that's usually not that relevant. I think Spellcraft one play Endure. And then yes. you can pay three to give a unit plus two plus two at Endurance until end of turn. And this is a card that I know a lot of a lot of people are pretty high on, and I think is just not very good, and have sort of never thought it was very good. And sort of my thought process on this is that it's this is specifically the kind of 
card that is good in basically one situation, which is that you're in a board stall. So the idea is you're in a board stall. You don't have that much other stuff to do, but Siege Provision is going to make one of your guys a pretty competent attacker every turn. They're, it's going to be able to potentially trade up, and you're going to like get, grind out the value on that in order to sort of win the board stall. And so one of the things I think that's going on here is that a lot of Eternal players are really bad at board stalls. Like, I don't know how many games I've been in where, like, the game's gotten complicated, it's gotten, you know, bogged down, neither player has that many good attacks, and I'm like, oh crap, I'm really behind here. And then my opponent either doesn't attack when they're supposed to attack or makes some bad attacks, and then suddenly, like, I'm, you know... In a great in a great position, and so that's I think why a lot of people like siege provision is that like when when you each have like one unit on the board, you can basically figure out what's going on. When you each have like ten units on the board, the combinatorics get really gross, and like I understand not wanting to think your way through that because thinking is like a lot of work. But the problem here is that. Sea provision is basically only good in that situation. It's not that good in that situation, and it makes you more likely to either be behind or get in board stall than if you just like had some threat or trick in that spot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the one thing that um, that yeah yeah siege provisions is nice because it allows you to not think. <laughs> I. I think is the one of the positive siege provisions. This format was kind of interesting for me with siege provisions because it felt like there was such there were no big units, and so siege provision the plus two plus two on siege provisions. You know, like if you put siege provisions on your three three, it's now suddenly bigger than the seven cost time unit, um, which was kind of an interesting context for this format, um, I thought. And the fact that, I don't know, and that there was a fair bit of stun um, also kind of upped Siege Provisions a little bit, but I, I definitely see your point with Siege Provisions. Well, the problem is even in that story where you have a 3-3 three, three that you're Siege Provisioning so that it can get past their, their you know, uh, four or five, like they can still just like put two three threes in front of it, and you just trade a three three for a three three, and you know you're living the dream. Mm-hmm. And then of course we get to talk about like tricks yes. and everything. But my basic opinion on siege provision is that if you never play it, you're a little bit less likely to win when you get into board stall, but way less likely to get into a board stall or just you know get run over. And so you. I'm just generally of the opinion of, like, don't play it and just, you know, don't panic in board stalls. Try to figure out what the good attacks and blocks are and make them. And, you know, a lot of people will panic and you'll get them without having to use training wheels like this. Yes. And I think Siege Provisions is also a a card kind of like what we're talking about with uh, Trail Torch Charger or the cat, you know, where... 
Or, you know, Cinderplot, yeah. <laughs> whatever, whatever. I, I've, I've played that card. I've played so many fire decks, and I've played that card so few times. I just <laughs> learned its name yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's. I think Siege Provisions can be a card where when it's very good against you, it's very good. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good card or you should play it a lot. You know, it's just, just because a card beats you all the time doesn't necessarily mean it's a great card. It can just mean, like, it's a card, you know, there are certain types of cards that just beat certain types of players, and Siege Provisions could be uh, one of those cards. Also, just make more trades early in games, and then you won't get in board stalls, and you can, like, just, like, win a normal game of Eternal. Uh, yeah, I know. You know what? Freaking, uh, um, oh, jeez, um, I put too much bourbon in my hot toddy, so I'm oh, starting nice. to lose the name of cards here. But uh, a Grizzly Contest screws this up for me so many times because I'm a pretty aggressive trader, and then I'll draw a Grizzly Contest and be like, <laughs> yeah. oh, why did I, why did I do that? No, I, um, I've, I've definitely drafted too many decks that are like a little too light on units to be playing three Grizzly Contests and just yes. like, you know... We'll just often have these like awkward draws where you like have like two units, but they're actually useful and you don't really want to sacrifice them to kill something. Uh, so that's actually just totally irrelevant note. And I do think Grizzly Contest kind of got worse with the move away from the original set nine format where there was like tons mm -hmm. of good sacrifice fodder in the curated packs. Uh, and so it's possible I should have moved my value of it down but I never did. Yes. No, I agree. And I think Grizzly Contest, this is totally a rule of our current discussion, but was interesting in that it, for me at least, forced me to change my play style when I drafted a deck with three Grizzly Contests or Contests, because like I said, I'm a pretty aggressive trader um, and I had to learn to be a little bit more disciplined, which, you know, it's, it's always... Uh, Hard to know whether that was right or wrong. Maybe I should have just played fewer contests. <laughs> it was probably the right answer. Um, all right, so then uh, I think this next card you brought up, Midnight Hunt, is kind of interesting. First off, because, uh, you know, like you're going to talk about, people um, you feel like are misevaluating the card. But also, it'll be interesting to see whether a lot of these influenced matter cards make it into the boosted draft packs. Yeah, I mean, so... Midnight Hunt, to me, has a few things that are, like, really strongly going against it for a card that I think a lot of players, including players I really respect, like a lot. Uh, so, a lot, part of this comes down to kind of why, why combat tricks are good. Because they are. Uh, and the reason that combat tricks are good are that they're sort of interaction... That, is, that you can usually find a use for that lets you kind of trade for a card while gaining some value in terms of cost. So, you know, play, you play a finest hour and kill their three or four drop and you gain, like, three power of value. And so that, first of all, goes way down when you are playing a card that costs three, like Midnight Hunt. Because, mm -hmm. you know, that's... It's really hard to, it's really easy to play Finest Hour and then play a three drop. It's really hard to play Midnight Hunt and then play a three drop. 
the second point is that you want is that I much prefer combat tricks that are good on both offense and defense because it's much easier to find a way to trade them for a card there. So, you know, you can play Finest Hour on your 2 to and block a 4 4, or you can like send in and when they try to trade, play it. With Midnight Hunt, you need to be attacking for it to actually give you a card worth of value because on defense, you know, it's back to the touch of force thing that I was complaining about earlier, which is that, you know, if you play it on defense, your guy is still going to die. And so both of those, I think, are pretty, make it much worse than most combat tricks. And it still has the downside of combat tricks, which is sometimes you can't use it. And sometimes people two for one, you, which is, you know, you try to play a midnight on your guy, they play, a, a seer or a disappear and you just like you know are standing there with something in your hands yeah and then also yeah i agree oh um no you can finish also 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 the fact that it requires you to be heavy in shadow like you know to have three or four shadow for it to even be getting your cost worth out of it really limits how early you want to pick in a draft because it could be that you're going to be like heavy fire for um the daggers and just, you know, have like one or two shadow influence in a given game. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. Midnight Hunt's also like just an interesting card in this. The qu quick draw on the tricks. Um, what's the what's the original one? The, oh, the rapid the rapid shot. shot you know? And quick draw. Yeah. Man, I can't believe that used to cost one. Before my time. <laughs> um but yeah the, the thing with quick draw is like you said it has to be done put on an aggressive unit but the tantalizing thing with midnight hunt is like unlike a finest hour your opponent can't ever double or triple block out of out of a midnight hunt you know what i mean just because of the quick draw often and so that's always that's why it always feels powerful to me because it feels like it puts you in a real bind because you're like either i don't block and then my opponent you know does six extra damage because of midnight hunt or i i try to do a block on this unit and then they have midnight hunt and kill all my units yeah, um, no, but definitely true i mean usually what you what you want to do there i think is you just you know put some same size unit in front of it they trade midnight hunt for your same size unit and they didn't get that far ahead or you wait and you play something like frost or metal and just like complete well metal completely destroys midnight hunt it's not even it's not polite uh yeah because you you lose the fight so you use the unit and a hunt for one card but, like, I mean, Midnight Hunt can definitely blow people out because it really does let your unit win a fight with two other units and live to tell this tale. But it also, like all tricks, can get blown out and then has all of these kind of fail cases. Right. Which uh, is why yeah. I think I don't let... I'm a pretty big anti-fan of the card. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think the one, the one card that made it a little interested in this format is Fell Rocks Inf because it was such an easy way to trigger the mastery on that card. Yeah, I mean, that's cute. Um, 
Um, but yeah. All right. And then your next card is Platinum Kirin, which I will throw up no defensive. So there are, there are reasons. So Platinum Kirin, the, the big thing about Platinum Kirin that I, I often see coming up is people putting in their deck because I don't have that many two drops. And you know, it is a unit that costs two. You play it on turn two. It's better on turn two than it is later. The issue is that the reason you want two drops is that, like, sometimes people, like, haven't got the memo about this being a slow format or, you know, a greedy format. They, like, want to attack you, and it's deeply rude and unfair that they're doing it. But, but they're going to do it to you, and, you know, you want to, like, teach them a lesson by playing cards that interact with them and not just dying. And Platinum Kieran, like, you play it, and if they're attacking you, you have this one-two that can't block. And if they're not attacking you and they're playing slower, you have this one-two that's not putting any pressure on them. Yes. And I, and, I mean, so there are reasons to play Platinum, Platinum Kieran. The main one to me is, was the sort of Flyers Matter stuff from set eight. So if you're playing a bunch of precision plunges and you, you know, don't have as many Flyers as you'd like to have, well, Precision Plunge plus Platinum Kirin is like build your own combust or something like that. <laughs> but, you know, the Eternity Core is like nice but kind of awkward, and otherwise you're just playing this deeply below rate guy. I agree. I, I think by the, the way I phrase it is there are so few games when I'm upset when my opponent spends turn four playing an eternity core like that is a move most games i want my opponent to do <laughs> like when they get their mastery off for platinum kieran and then play no unit on turn four i feel pretty good about my chances that game really the dream in this form, um, you like play so, kieran, you get the eternity core and then you play like um, a desert alchemist and turn it into a time sigil. <laughs> exactly. Especially in this format, because you're ramping up to, like, your seven drop that turns your Platinum Kirin into a 1-2 decay. Killer. killer like. <laughs> and then you kill their Cypher Paladin and make it an 0-4. You're living the dream. Yeah. Now, um, all right. Gen your regen shield. All coming together. Yeah, I think regen, you, people have mentioned this, regen is kind of, you know, interestingly with uh, with uh, decay in that, you know, you don't do your decay damage the first the first hit on a regen unit. So a lot of these under-costed decay units, I think, are going to probably get worse in value, or not under-statted, sorry, under-statted decay units. On the other hand, the the always awesome play of putting a uh, de corrosive dagger on your Valley Clan Sage is even better now because it's like not just threatening to like shrink their attackers; it's also making all of their regen shields like cower in terror. Yeah, no, that's true. All right, and then Chain with Bludgeoner. So this one is weird. So Chain with Bludgeoner, I think, in a lot of formats would be pretty good. Because, you know, it's a 2-2 two -two that attacks for 3. And, you know, often can attack past other 2-drops. Other and so I think the thing that I want to, wanted to use Chain with Bludgeoner to talk about is 
how format dependent different types of cards are. So in this format, because of Valley Clan Sage, because of Siphoner Paladin, because of Caravan Guard, because of Acrid Scorpion, whatever, two drops suck. Like two drops that are just like planning on attacking especially suck. But in general, you know, you just don't want to be playing two drops because the likelihood that they will play three or four drop and just like completely make your play irrelevant is high. And Siphoner Paladin, or not Siphoner, and and Shane with Bludgeoner suffers a lot for this because if they two drop, that's not that good on defense, not that good in the late game. It's just like its plan was I was going to attack for three a lot early. And you can see this actually in different types of formats about different types of cards. So in formats where there are strangers, other tutus just are really, really bad. Because, you know, I played this card that fixed my influence. You played this guy that wants to attack me. I trade. I have good influence. And you just, you, I don't know what you did with your life. And so I think Chain of Bludgeoner very plausibly could be good in future formats. In formats that have more weapons to make the Aegis matter and formats that don't have, like, insane 3-5s for 3 that are just, like, have decided that no that no attacking is going to be done on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... Yeah, I, I definitely see what you're saying. It's it's kind of... Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Um, I wonder if I, part of it is that I played... I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to figure out why I feel like my experience is different than yours. Because um, I feel like Chain Whip Bludgeoner showed me just how dangerous Aegis is on a two-drop. Because whenever I was Felm and my opponent played a Chain Whip Bludgeoner, I was like... Oh shoot! <laughs> I might lose this game, because uh, I guess you know you can play a Valley Clan Sage and that blocks it for a long time. But if your opponent did anything cute with that Chain Whip Bludgeoner, you just had the I don't know. It just it always felt like a very scary card. Um, I maybe it's just because it works so well with Badge of Honor. Um, I mean, no, it's, it, is, it is very nice with Badge of Honor because you're, like, consistently, can consistently attack with, like, a 5-7 or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, but the thing is, if they play a weapon on it, then, you know, you can just suck it up and play two, and play two interactive stuff. Yeah. And, and not- you haven't really, it, it's no longer two for one because they played the weapon. No, I, I see what you say. And I, maybe it was just mostly psychological and I need <laughs> to, you know, put my big boy pants on and play two removal spells on their two or, drop. Or play, like, play uh, Amethyst Acolyte, which I assume was like times 10 in this most recent format because everyone always had it. Yes. No, it, it definitely is times 10 in this format. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. Um, and I'm glad you brought it up because it, I think it's a good counterbalance to how I've been feeling about Chain with Bludgeoner, which is mostly utter frustration uh, from the receiving end. <laughs> Um, all right, and so the card I kind of wanted to bring up was Horn of Plenty, which I think is a pretty interesting card in this format because I think it's, as far as I can tell, it's like 
the common that everyone gets the most excited about <laughs> whenever it's in a format. Everyone's like, Horn of Plenty's back! And then uh, they try to draft as many Horn of Plenties as they possibly can. Um, and it's a card that I've always had very mixed feelings on, and mostly because it costs five... Um, it costs five power and isn't a unit. Um, and I feel like in this format in particular, it was in a, a weird place. Um, one, because there was such a disparity between how good units were at attacking and how good units were at defending. And so it felt very anemic on the attack. You know, like making all your two twos into three threes did nothing to get you over the caravan guard hump. Um, and then also making all your humbug nests from one ones into two twos did nothing to get them past a smogwing tinker. Is uh... so my opinion about Horn of Plenty is I think that the effect on the board was still pretty good in this format. And in particular, one of the things that T had, especially in the third set nine format, is that you just had like a bunch of mana doors. So like oftentimes you, you could go like turn two Trailmaker, turn three Apprentice Mage and Grodow as Evangel. And then if you play like turn four Horn of Plenty, suddenly you've got, you know... 12 attack on the or nine attack on the board on turn four, which is pretty great. And so that was the thing I most liked about it. The thing I most disliked about it is to your point about the it being an expensive non-unit, is that time was already all over expensive non-units in basically every set nine format, which is that the main reason that you wanted to be T in this format, I think was you had you wanted disappears and you wanted and you wanted them to turn your ancient machinus whatever the two one guy into six sixes and so oftentimes you were finding yourself in a t deck with two disappears a reality snap and a seed of creation and at that point adding another five cost non-unit is suddenly making your deck really unwieldy And I think if you're going in a different direction, you know, if you're playing a Praxis deck that has, like, you know, three Corrosive Daggers, suddenly Horn of Plenty is awesome. Yes. No, I I mean, uh, obviously Horn of Plenty is really sweet with Decay. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's interesting. Because, like, I feel less so about that when you when you, you know, if you, the example was Grenadine Drones, for example, where you're like, yeah, I mean, it's great. you got, like, you turned your two one ones into, you know, a 4-4 four, four worth of, of stats, but it's still, they still get brick-walled by everything your opponent's doing. Well, so, I mean, so, so one thing you should think about there is that that, is that, you know, Hoarder Fundy costs five. I mean, it, it is. I I I must note that Horn of Plenty is the yellow Xenonobelisk. So there was a cycle of Xenonobelisk. We had the red Xenonobelisk, which is my beloved barbarian camp. The blue Xenonobelisk, which is the snow fort, and now we have the and then we have the yellow Xenonobelisk, which is Horn of Plenty. Uh, but the thing about it is, that it costs five. 
But what it does is it it makes it it's really good on defense because if you have like a Grenadine drone and a uh, apprentice mage and maybe like some random three three, and you have a horn of plenty out, suddenly you have you know two two twos, a three three, and a four four, and you're going to be able to make some double blocks that are like getting you way up in value. Mm-hmm. The other thing that Horn of Plenty had going for it in this format is it does double up on Imbue. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you have a 2-2 two, two and you imbue it with a Blur Haze Worm, you have a 3-3. Three, three. If you have a Horn of Plenty and you imbue your, you suddenly have a 5-5. Five, five. Right. Yes, I, I think that's, yeah. And I guess the point of this discussion is to, is to talk about how it's context dependent. And I, and I think also deck dependent because, you know, one of the things that we've constantly harped on in this format is like time besides for disappear more or less and Omen Scar Worm in, um, in the uncommon slot just didn't have that big unit that we expect time to have. And, and that's, and I feel like that in my mind hurt, Horn of Plenty because like Horn of Plenty is great on defense and so it allows you to like turn all of your dorky guys into great double blockers and then start knocking through with your big time units at the top end but when you didn't have that time top end all you had were dorky guys that were great blockers in I guess my conception of like say of the Combray deck or whatever um uh, so I actually don't, that's not, to me, when Horn of Plenty has been at its best. Because in general, Horn of Plenty wants to have a lot of medium-sized units rather than, like, a few big units. Because mm-hmm. obviously, I mean, if they're too small, who cares if they have plus one, plus one? And if, but if they're too big, also, who cares if they have plus one, plus one? So, like, if you have, like, a bunch of two twos and three threes that are suddenly three threes and four fours, that's when you go to, ta- that's suddenly, suddenly you're unattackable, basically. And so there the question is, there, I think the thing that you want to then combo them with to break through is not necessarily some big combo or some big time unit. Because the thing about those big time units is your opponent has a bunch of two twos and three threes that can't attack, and then they just like double block your five five, and you're just like, oh, that was fun. I, yeah. guess, I guess neither of us should have been attacking here. So instead, what you want to be doing is you want to like have like a tower top patrol and an archive curator. Who are suddenly now two power flyers that are just like pecking away at your opponent when they have no block attacks on back on the ground. Now the problem is there weren't very many of those in this format either. So I think the general point is of you know Horn of Plenty being not at its best. I think is right. Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I yeah, I agree. Um, cool. So I think that's everything we wanted to say, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I got nothing else. Yeah, I think, yeah. no, I, I think we said oh, a lot. I think this... Oh, oh, one thing I sort of th- was thinking about is the set this is reminding me the most of is probably the, the least popular draft format ever, which is set three draft, which was this like really weird and sloppy and low power level tribal format. So the, the thing this, for, this set reminds me of a lot is set three, which, is the, which was this kind of weird, complicated tribal format. And the thing about tribal formats in Eternal, and especially Eternal Limited, 
is that you're not going to have often have 10 to 15 residents. You're not going to have 10 Valkyries. You're going to have these like packages of four, five, six of a specific type of unit. And what that means is that you're going to want to evaluate these cards that are sometimes on. You're going to need to evaluate what are they like when they're not on? What are they like when they're when they're on 30% of the time? What are they like when they're on 60% of the time? And there's going to be this interesting sliding scale. And so that means it's going to be a pretty fluid evaluation of cards that really do depend from deck to deck. And you're going to want to take cards that like, you know, say, play lots of Grenadines, even if you have a few Grenadines, as long as they're still giving you some value like the, uh, like the cybernetic pup does. Yes. Yeah, I, I think that's it. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. And because um, I'm glad I got to talk to someone who liked set three because that is maybe the thing that I've been most apprehensive about. Um, and and it, it's good because um, I guess I came into Eternal Draft sort of late into set three. Um, and then so my real experience with a set three type draft was uh, the one of the iterations, I think, of set five, where it felt like they just shoehorned this tribal synergy in, into a deck. And it felt very random to me. So did someone like it and felt like it is skill testing is heartening. So yeah, no, <laughs> I appreciate that. It is very skill testing because, you know, most cards in Eternal, you're like Siphon or Paladin is great all the time. Caravan Guard is great all the time and it's a little bit better if it can all, if it's like consistently attacking on turn six. But like something like Yeti Windflyer is very different in a deck that has four Yetis and a deck that has six Yetis and a deck that has 10 Yetis. And so you just need to be like, mm -hmm. Changing your evaluation of cards through the format, through the draft, etc. And I think it's really it's really rewarding, but also, you know, sometimes frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, I think my biggest complaint is because I am like a 98% mobile player. And like trying to like I can barely <laughs> barely read the cards and having to read what tribe they are too. I'm like not super excited about that. <laughs> memorizing another aspect of cards i'm sure by like the third iteration of set 10 it'll be easy yeah um but i that this actually did remind me of one uh thing i did want to talk to you um is you mentioned being um sort of excited about the draft preview event and i kind of did want to just hear your thoughts about how one should really go into the draft preview event hoping to get the most out of it? I mean, so the thing that I think the draft preview event really does is it gives you a head start on just like playing with a bunch of commons and uncommons. And you can figure out kind of how, how strong do they feel, in what situations are they good, etc. And then there's going to be a bunch of context that's going to be totally meaningless to you. But like, so like, in the draft, the set seven preview, it really does not did not take that long to identify that draw strength and Grodov's favored, and I forget whether Marsh Dragon was in it or not, were insane. And then it turned out that that was like all that 
the only important thing about that we learned anyone learned about that format for its entire existence was hey here are four insane commons uh, that was kind of annoying uh but whatever and so i think it's just like you know the themes are not going to work in the way that they work when we have the full format but the individual commons you're going to get a, you're going to you can just get a better feel for them and that's going to just like you know if you have a bunch of comments like this one feels really great, this one feels not really great, just on, on rate, on play pattern, etc., that will just give you a head start on the format that will like help make you make decisions. So you're not gonna see big picture stuff, but you're gonna get like a bunch of like card level information that really does help you get a head start. Yeah. And I and I guess uh, another thing that I think can be helpful is you can see where they're going with a card, even if the card doesn't quite get there in the draft preview. And hopefully that can sort of, once you see the full picture, allow you to just with that quite as much play, whether this card right. is good or not, the full context. Right. No, so like, I mean, to, to give example of that Grenadin pig, like I had a bunch of theory crafting about sort of what would that would look like on random board states. And being able to play it on like actual board states that you encounter in games of draft it was going to give you way more information than just me being like, well, if you have three credits and they have two units and blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I do think there's some use. I always get frustrated just because of how bot drafts and stuff work that it feels like it totally screws up one week. Um, but I do appreciate your point of just even in a, a crazy format where it won't matter in the future, just getting your hands on the cards does tell you something. Well, also, also we've had like this stupid Siphoner Paladin Caravan Guard format for like, you know, four months now, and I want a new format. I know, but like, what are all these three power tutus going to do against the Siphoner Paladin? Uh, you're going to stun the Siphoner Paladin, then you're going to play Stormhall Battalion, and all of your Grenadines are going to attack it and draw, and draw treasure troves. Oh, yeah, no, okay, that's sweet. You... Touche. Ixton <laughs> Grenis stun deck. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think this was really excellent. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. And, you know, have fun out there. Or we'll stay safe not out there because global pandemic. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Stay safe in the draft queues, yeah. everyone. All right. So that's our show. Thank you again to all our patrons for making the show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can join us in our Discord, link in the show notes. Or as M. Gallup said, uh, the main Discord is also a pretty lively place with a lot of people who are excited to help you. Um, so either way, um, there are definitely people out there who want to talk drafts. So no, I won't hold any grudges if you do it in the main Discord. Uh, <laughs> finally... Thumbs up all of your uh, Raven Dragons Reddit posts about this show. I think it really helps get the word out. And don't forget to send in all your seven-win deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night.